By the time you finish listening to this Wherever you happen to be In the car on the street Would you please Would you please Rate, review and subscribe Hells to the gospel of the gospel of the gate and Jericho that we all deserve to have a spiritual life, but better if it's not attached to shame. Send us an email at wewerechristiankids at gmail.com Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram We like it when you send us messages It means that show strange things that happen to us Christian kids, we were Christian kids. We were, 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 we Justin! Calvin! I love the drum roll. <laughs> Thank you. They really sounded like drums. <laughs> it was just my desk. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Every I'm time good. our answers are just like, I'm busy and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> No, um, you know, things, things are happening. Things are, are happening. Things are happening. I don't know. Um, I feel very energized after our conversation today and, um, and I feel optimistic. I feel like, you know, we have stepped into a world, um, that was, that was, there was groundwork for us and that really feels exciting. Um, uh, you know, also doing shows and working on my audiobook and, um, and presenting, um, a new work, a musical that's coming out in September, which is very exciting. Um, stay tuned to get more information on that. Um, I have yes. new music coming out, um, and, uh, a little tour of Kansas next week, which is going to be fun. Um, with my friend Colton Cox and 
Yeah, had a great show last weekend at the Record Bar in Kansas City. Um, it was supposed to be at Lemonade Park, which outside, like I heard, like I like I said last week. But then it went uh, because of a thunderstorm. Uh, we decided to move it inside instead of postponing it. And I don't know. I just feel like after this year of like really focusing on my music and my person, like who I am as a person, as an individual, um, being more familiar with my family history. Um, I, I, I love being able to talk clearly about these issues that have been pressing on my heart mm. in hopes that um, to, to like have better language for myself and, and, and also for, uh, to provide better language for audience members to, to really um, to, to be able to feel and express and understand the feelings that they're having about the world we live in now. And, um, and, and, and in part, I feel like my job as a musician is to do that or as, as a songwriter at least is to be able to like distill emotions into a, a time and a space mm -hmm. and and also through storytelling allows me that same opportunity and i feel like i really i was very like i, I feel a, like a different person in front of an audience now than who i was before the pandemic and and i'm, and I'm feeling really grateful for that um experience and and for this being my takeaways of that time mm -hmm. um I feel like a stronger, more bold person, and that makes me feel good. Amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> you're, you're also. It's like your vulnerability is like a muscle, and you got mm -hmm. stronger. Yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing lots of shows, running all over. I just went to LA for a week, did four, I think four shows there. Where'd you play? It was a lot of fun. Uh, I did one show, uh, Poncho's Comedy Night. I wish I could tell you the neighborhood, but I didn't drive there. Um, <laughs> and I did three shows at Kempton Hotel, which is near Miracle Mile. I know that location. That's all I know about that location. Mm -hmm. So um although i did drive in la i was, drove a car a convertible and well, I you 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 had rich. said last time yeah because <laughs> i was like oh, were you just stuck in traffic yeah but no you weren't. <laughs> no i was uh yeah that was fun and i what wrote was... a I wrote a pilot and mm. which is the first episode of a tv series yeah yeah, yeah. okay and um there's some exciting stuff happening with that. I won't say too much, but um, I'm, will you tell me later? Yes, I'll tell you later. Okay, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm happy with it, and I'm excited. So, staying Good. busy. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, on today's episode, we have a dear friend of mine, Mark Manning, who is a I know primarily as a radio DJ uh, at a local radio station called KKFI Community Radio, kkfi.org to tune into there. Um, he is probably the person, well, he was the first person to ever play one of my songs on the radio. He was the first mm -hmm. person to ever have me on the radio station. He, um, when back in my closeted Christian soft boy days, um, I'm still soft, just a different kind of soft, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he also is a, um, a community coordinator for um, the Community Gardens Project at schools in the Kansas City, Kansas School District. Um, he is, you'll hear him talk about um, his years as a, as a participant in performance art and theater, and also a community leader around that theater. Um, and I think, I think that sets him up well. We, we love Mark Manning, and, um, and we can't wait for you to hear this story.
Enjoy. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Oh, we were Christian kids. Oh, we were Christian kids. Oh, we were Christian kids. I mean, like, really, really, really Christian. Mark! Hello? <laughs> Mark, Mark, Hello. Mark, Mark. <laughs> welcome. Yeah, welcome to our show. We were Christian kids. Um, and we, we, you and you, Justin and I were on the radio last week together and um, kind of in between um, uh, takes or conversations, um, you were sharing more with me about your Christian upbringing in Nebraska. And... Um, you, I would say, are definitely a um, a queer entertainer. So, what uh, <laughs> what, what what better opportunity to share your story than on our podcast? Yes, wow. thank you. It's an honor because I love your podcast. It's really, it's really great, and I I do I think I told you on the radio that I think the podcast is healing for for people who may be going through this at the moment but also for, for people like me who did go through things like this years ago, that we don't always heal from those things. Sometimes mm. we just keep going. Mm. And, and sometimes hearing these stories and hearing what you're doing on the radio, it does heal those old wounds from the mm. past for, I think I called myself an old gay on the radio. <laughs> 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 I've never done that before, but anyway, it's true. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's something that, that you that you either like wear or don't wear. Like you you have to decide if that's you or not. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people that think that age is relative because I know really old people who are young and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But and I'm not always the best judge of age, but um unless you're a fourth grader or a sixth grader or a first grader. <laughs> right. But, uh, but um, uh, yeah, I, you're right. I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm self-identifying as old. <laughs> in my soul. <laughs> so you grew up in, in Nebraska. Can you talk to us a little bit about your childhood and, and, um, and then get into the, get in some of that juicy church church shit <laughs> yeah well i was i'm half catholic so I, I, my dad's side of the family were were irish catholic folk and my grandmother my dad's grandmother was like a devout irish catholic democrat wow in a very republican place but she never talked politics but my dad who's a very trump person recently whispered that his mother forced him to register as a democrat that's how strong-willed her Irish Catholic, um, and she's a very soft-spoken woman, amazing lady, but anyway, but my mom was not Catholic, and my mom and dad, I'm the product of a, of a, a bad date or something, you know, my <laughs> it was like the backseat of a, a 57 Chevy situation was how it was conceived, Wow! and uh, I, my mom told me the whole story when I was younger, I was like, how did why did you get married to dad? It just never seemed like the right thing for me as a child, watching them interact. Mm. And they ended up having two more children after me. But um, uh, uh, 
anyway, my mom was Methodist and they had a, they had like a, a December wedding during the winter time. Mm. And, and I was actually there inside my mother uh, as a small fetus um, with, with them and there. I've been in all their weddings. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but my, my father had me baptized and he literally told my mother the day of my baptism, you better dress up Mark, I have to take him to get baptized. And my mom was like, what? And my dad had picked out the godparents and everything and not even talked to my mom about it. Wow. And my mom got really upset and like left the house. And my dad took me by myself. But my dad wasn't a church going person ever. Um, so I never went to Catholic church. And my mom just took me to Methodist church where she was, uh, went to church where her family was. And um, that's kind of, it's kind of like Christian light by comparison to <laughs> you guys. Um, but when my mom and dad got divorced, when I was 11, we moved to the bad side of our town. We lived in a town of 7,000 people, but there was a, a railroad tracks and there was this other <laughs> side of town. And we went to that side of the town and a block from our house was a Nazarene church. And, um, and also, my mom had gotten a job working at the women's prison, which was also on the bad side of town. And uh, uh, a lot of the women that went to that prison went to the Nazarene church also. Mm. And somehow my mom got drawn into that church. She kind of needed, uh, she just needed a little bit more, like for more friends and more stability. So she started going there and I kind of followed my mother into the church mm -hmm. and she went away to a church camp for adults and was like reborn or whatever. And then I went away to a church camp for kids and it was the same situation. Wow. They baptize you in a lake and, you know, the camp has everything that every kind of camp has, except every night from like 630 till 10 o'clock, they have this big show in the church mm -hmm. where they do music and film and and then they have a big altar call mm -hmm. where they call you to the altar and and ask you to give your life to Jesus and all of that stuff and so I kind of went through all of that between the ages of like 11 and 13 14 15 that range of my life um, and I think like my mother I think I was just kind of lost and needed some kind of community i guess you could say because uh, this church was really friendly and everybody mm -hmm. there was like you're immediately invited, invited to people's houses for dinner and lunch and like they just accepted you like part of their family also mm -hmm. and uh and then just as i was a part of the church i just started uh learning of all the rules of the church little by little and that's kind of where I started to have my own like what you know like, <laughs> like for one thing theaters are like horrible evil places <laughs> you cannot go to a theater uh, even though their church services are very much like theater yeah, <laughs> service is very much like, but in, in, in the Nazarene faith, there's no depiction of Jesus ever. No photograph. You wouldn't have someone on a cross or you wouldn't even have someone play that part in the play. Oh, on wow. Um, no picture. That's like considered against their belief system. Wow. And uh, 
they also like there was this movie about the second coming it had a theme song that was like i wish we'd all been ready uh. and it was this movie about people that just disappeared because they were taken in the when jesus came back they were taken but all these other people are left behind mm-hmm. it was one of those left behind kind of movies uh-huh. and um so they played it in the local movie theater and our church did this whole thing about we're going to go there to watch this movie but we need to remember that these are evil places to go <laughs> to go to this oh, you know, no. cinema house wow uh, we're walking into like a really horrible place and we have to be very careful wow. you know it was that it was that kind of thing um nazarenes can't they don't dance either, no right? dancing either that no was dancing. probably one of the things that really caused me the biggest problem was in Sunday school when the Sunday school teacher was saying that dancing was against the belief system and against God and whatever. And I was like, what? You know, I started to really, um, and I had gotten a job when I was 12 years old, I I got a job working in a local restaurant in my hometown. It's kind of young to start working in a restaurant, but I, I was paying into social security at a young age. (laughs) And and I learned a whole nother like part of life in this restaurant because I worked with all these adults and uh, I learned things that your parents would never teach you. you (laughs) Um, So I kind of, I kind of slipped out of the church and started working Sundays because that was the busiest day of the week to work in this particular restaurant. Mm. Um, and I needed people to work on Sundays, especially because um, they served, you know, this really great menu and people came from all over the state to eat at this restaurant. So wow. I kind of slipped out of the church and just never went back um, after being saved and sanctified and baptized in a, in a lake and, I would go to the Wednesday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night services every week and try to participate in any way I can. But I just eventually became, uh, it came to a place where I couldn't go into a church at all after that. I was like, I'm afraid of churches. you know, Because <laughs> I'm afraid of the, I feel like there is a brainwashing thing that happens with the group singing and the group prayer. Um, There's a church in Kansas City called the Broadway Baptist Church. And I started going there with a friend uh, who was in the theater. And um, I loved that church because I loved all the mixture of people there. But I wouldn't sing or pray with the group of people because it was like, if I do that, I'm going to start getting brainwashed. You know what I mean? Um, it's like group also, think. Yeah, yeah, that group thing. Yeah, true. It's so you know, and also, Justin, I don't know if it's true for you, but I I started working in theater, and I majored in theater in college, and I worked with lots of people who thought of the theater as like a church, you know, mm. a sacred space. You don't, you know, people yeah. don't put their feet up on the stage. It's it's a sacred. So that became a new kind of church for me in a, in a way, you know what I mean? Mm. That space yeah. um, and regular churches were places that I had a real hard time even going through the front door. Mm. Um, but, uh, I, th- I think that that's the part that, um, that I really 
have tried to like navigate or like tried to feel like I want to be free everywhere, you know, and like everywhere that I that I get to like go or like be a part of like I want to be um, I want to feel safe in my skin. Um, do you feel that same like like hesitation or, or reservation from churches today? Yeah, I do. To some extent, mm -hmm. I do. I, I knew I was visiting friends in Denver and they took me to the MCC church and uh, the Metropolitan Community Church. Okay. And it's a national gay church. And mm -hmm. I had been mm -hmm. to the church in Kansas City because when I first moved here, my best friend was in a wedding and this guy named Daryl married this other guy named Daryl. And, uh, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> and it was like 1986 and they were dressed in um, Miami Vice like clothing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? With like, like their sleeves rolled up on their jackets and cotton, everything was like cotton pastel, like uh, yes. slip on white shoes and things like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this gay church uh, uh, that was MCC Church was started uh, for gay people who still wanted to go to church, you know, and um, it's fairly non-denominational. Um, and uh, I went to the this church in Denver, and it was in the '80s also. And you know you're in a gay church because the cologne. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Walk Better in than incense. Yeah, it's not frankincense. It's like Ralph Lauren. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that was kind of a trip, you know, to, to do that. Uh, there's so many different kinds of churches, but I still am wary in my own way and. I have a partner who I've been with for almost 30 years and uh, he was brought up in a Jesuit education and went to Rockhurst College and he knows the Bible really well. Like I can ask him every, anything I want about the Bible and he tells me stuff. But he also is um, a non-believer at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, doesn't go to church either <laughs> had his own upbringing what do you think was like the craziest thing you remember them telling you like what where do you think that that's that like fear stems from what yeah what what was it about or what were the things that they said was it hell was it like you know i think Justin, were you going to answer that question? Or I saw you. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I think for me, the thing that really bothered me the most was the gay thing. Because when I first came to Kansas City, um, the local government wanted to uh, pass a human rights ordinance. And all they were doing was adding gay and lesbian and disabilities, like people living with AIDS to this protected status that included race, sex, whatever. And the day that they introduced the amendment was the same day that they had a noise ordinance that they were trying to pass about people who are protesting at the abortion clinic. Um, so all these Christian fundies that would go to the abortion clinic and protest like crazy people every week we're down at City Hall protesting this noise ordinance thing. 
And at the same time, they're introducing this new ordinance. They want to include gay and lesbians. And all these people that were there for the Norwegian ordinance were like, aha, we have the group here that we can go after. Mm. And so it became this, there was like a three-year struggle to pass this human rights ordinance. And there would be all these people from these very um, interesting Christian uh, evangelical churches coming down to testify against passing this um, human rights ordinance and then gay people on the other side. And uh, it was just this immediate thing of like the church hates gay people, you know? Um, and then the whole thing with Fred Phelps, I, in the eighties, I mean, I came out around the same time that the AIDS crisis began really. And People don't think about it now the way that the way things that really happened um, throughout the 80s and early 90s because there's now medication and drugs that can treat people and it's almost as if it doesn't exist. But at the time, there were like so many people dying, and I just remember like losing fingers and toes to count the number of people that I knew in my own group of friends in Kansas mm. City. And then uh, you go to a funeral of a friend and then the Fred Phelps people were standing outside holding signs saying, God hates fags, fags burn in hell. And their, their kids, these little eight-year-old kids are holding these signs up. And just this whole idea that it seemed like all of church was against gay people. You know, mm -hmm. if gay people were fighting for any kind of equality, whether it be gay marriage or, or um gay housing or just being able to not be fired for being gay, um, immediately there was this church out against you. Um, led, it was like a national movement. Um, and I just felt like I was the enemy of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was the thing. And um, so we always just tried our best to satirize, to use theater to try to satirize the people that we were fighting against. You know? <laughs> so much of the work that we did with Big Bang Buffet was that kind of stuff. Yeah, tell us about Big, Big Bang Buffet, but just in case uh, any of our listeners haven't heard about it before. When I, when I moved to Kansas City in 1986, I worked at the Unicorn Theater for about three years and did like, I don't know, 18 shows there. But I also worked for like the rep and for theater league and guerrilla theater and cuttery, just all over town, you know, and as theater people, I would have like four or five jobs just to pay the bills. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I started working in a restaurant of a friend of mine called Cafe Lulu. And we got this idea to do a, a show, a open up, like, like not an open mic, but a place for people to share a book that they might be in the middle of, like read a chapter of the book or, read some poetry. That was the original idea. And we called it the spoken word. But performance artists kind of took over the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of these people that I didn't even know, other gay people and other artists and musicians, all started contributing to this Monday night show at this restaurant. And we developed this network of people and we created a production company called Big Bang Buffet. And the Big Bang was like something new. And Buffet was our regional 
like we have to make it regional and everyone in Kansas City wants a buffet. <laughs> they want as much as they can for as little as you have to pay for it. <laughs> and so, and plus our shows are kind of like a buffet, but then we just immediately started doing material, like writing shows, doing um, smaller pieces that developed into like huge musicals um, that, that made fun of uh, people that we were fighting against politically. Mm. Uh, my friend Janice wrote this three-act musical called The Stan and Friend Fundy Show about a Christian evangelical Vegas lounge act. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she wrote these songs that were like uh, really hilarious, like, babies, babies, we are having babies. And uh, <laughs> um, and like Stan would like slug her during a song and she'd fall over and uh, it was just real cheesy. And she'd created this whole, the Vegas was just one chapter in their whole story. Uh, wow. We ended up doing this, this three act musical that we produced on stage at a gay bar. Um, wow. The cabaret would let us do shows at eight o'clock at night on their dance floor. And they also had to stay a smaller stage. And we would just use the whole room and sell it like a theater and they wouldn't charge us anything because they were able to sell drinks because uh, nothing happened in the bar till like 11 o'clock anyway mm -hmm. so to let us use it at, at eight o'clock uh, was no problem and we would do a show like wednesday through sunday for three weeks you know oh, wow. extended if we wanted to so we did a whole a lot of things like that um um uh really crazy sometimes kind of borderline um pieces that would maybe possibly offend certain people <laughs> also because of the subject matter but it was mm -hmm. it was pretty much lesbian gay bisexual transgender um allied folk all just kind of artists who were telling original stories mm -hmm. about um about our own lives, kind of, kind of exploring the whole idea of performance art and what that means. And um, it was different than theater than what I'd been working on it before that. But I liked the challenge of of um, going into a a, a non traditional performing space and making it and making that into the the theater. Yeah. The place to tell the story. I love that too. We, we told a lot of, we did a lot of different stuff. So, how, yeah. How have you have how have you seen or f felt um, the city change since the late eighties till now? As far as like human rights and and and, do you feel like your group was able to see um, a change in the, in, the, in the narrative of the city? Definitely. Yeah, things have changed a lot. Uh, yeah, gay people became elected to city council, you know, and to be state senator of mm -hmm. Missouri and and state representatives. And and those ordinances did pass and they kept adding to them. They added transgender status to that ordinance. And, uh, and gay people started working at city hall too, you know, for the mayor. And um, and then a lot of arts organizations have blossomed that support 
the kind of thing that we were doing back then, because um, we had no support. We paid for everything out of our back pockets. And, and we did almost every show as a benefit for another organization anyway. And um, uh, it was just easier to do it that way. Um, but now there's, there's a lot more theater happening. There's a lot more performance. There's, I think we're, I think we're continuing the work as a collective whole of all of us. And you both are a part of that, of it's, we have to constantly be vigilant. We have to constantly be um, working on it. Cause the minute that we get complacent and like, like everything's just fine, isn't it? Uh, then all of a sudden, like Trump gets elected, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like we're that close to that happening, you yeah. know. And so we have to keep we have to keep working on it all the time, and we have to keep reminding people and educating. It's really education. It's really mm. it's really about educating. But I I've just noticed working in schools because I work with middle school and, and grade school kids um, throughout the year mm-hmm. through the garden program that I do, and um, over a period of the last 22 years that I've been doing the job, I've seen so many changes in just in schools and how they deal with, and just the visibility of gay people in like a fourth grade class, maybe, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or are, you, are you able to be open about your partner like at the school? If I want to be, I can. <laughs> I, I believe in boundaries and yeah. So I'm already kind of queer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, people called me queer before I knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had to go look it up in the dictionary. And, oh my God, am I this? You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I love the word queer. I've totally taken it on. And I think it's a great word uh, to for all of us. Because mm-hmm. um, it's like all encompassing. But uh so I, when I first started working in schools, I was really freaked out because middle school was my least favorite time to go to school. It's when I was like bullied the most. And uh, I mean, I was called a faggot like every day of my life for like many years growing up wow. this whole time. And uh, I didn't really know what that meant. So I started working in a middle school in 1998 and I'm working in an after school program and there's this little sixth grade boy named Walter Kelvin Lee Jr. the third. Shared one of your names. <laughs> he, he is the one who introduced um, Beyonce to me mm. and uh, Bootylicious and a lot of music that I, Bills, 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 a lot of the early Destiny's Child recordings. I, got, I was introduced to by a sixth grader. You know, yeah. he was like, I'm gonna check this out. I love it. Anyway, he would get up on tables and dance. And I heard this 4-H club after school worker say to him in front of like seven girls, she said, you're a little faggot, aren't you? And he like stopped and everyone stopped. And she's like, his little boys that hang out with little girls all the time are little faggots. That's what they are. And I'm like standing in this across the room watching this like, oh my God, you know, um, things haven't changed at all since I was in middle school. Yeah. And uh, I went to the people that run the program and I said, I just want you to know that at 3.45, I heard this 4-H club worker say what I just told you. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing that you have to do is you have to then say, and I want you to know that I'm documenting, that I'm telling you that this happened. 
and I'm documenting that I'm telling you that I told you this at four o'clock on this date, you know, and you have to do that because then they're responsible. If they don't do anything about it, then they're responsible for not doing anything about it. And the next day that worker was gone, thank mm-hmm. God. Um, but, uh, but I, that was the kind of stuff I noticed happening. And kids would ask me, are you married? Do you have a wife? This one girl asked me, are you from England or Italy? <laughs> oh, she's trying. And I was like, I'm from Nebraska. <laughs> Who are you? You know, And I just, I don't sound like the average guy. I don't look like probably many of these kids' dads, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had this long talk with our friend Lisa Cordes, and, and really what we talked about was that it's okay for some things to be a mystery. We don't have to give all the answers. Sometimes when you're teaching people things, let them figure it out on their own also, mm-hmm. and they can own it, you know? And, and so I don't have to tell people everything about myself. And really when you're in front of a room of 35 sixth graders, um it teaches you how to be in front of an audience that's one thing you know what i mean it's like a tough crowd it really is I and mean, if you think you're going to give a monologue that day think again you know? <laughs> right and, uh, uh, but yeah i have to have some i have to have some boundaries where mm-hmm. maybe if i get to know them better or um, you know i mean kids will say all kinds of things and then you have to respond to those and and come up with an answer and so all of the like training that i have done like with there's a group called glisten they've been around forever gay and lesbian straight education network they teach teachers what to do in situations where you're in a classroom and someone calls someone a fag or a derogatory name when i grew up people it seemed like no one heard that like the teacher would do nothing. Like it mm-hmm. seemed like no one heard, like did anybody else hear that I just got called a fag? And no one would acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And um, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to like stop everything and say that wasn't right. And you really can't talk like that in this classroom to another person and use hateful language. You have to, we have to respect everybody. And if you don't do that, cause if you do that, that one kid in the very back who's not saying anything, who might be gay, who's just really quiet, they know they have an ally. They know they have someone that will have their back. Hmm. Um, but if you pretend like it didn't happen, then they're they're just lost that way. They don't know if there, anybody's there to help them. Hmm. So Because there are, there are gay people everywhere in every situation, hmm. every classroom, every school. There's, there's a gay teacher or a gay staff member somewhere in that school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even in schools, you wouldn't think there would be. There, there are. Yeah. And like in your, when you heard that, that 4-H teacher or person say that, like you felt for that child who was like you know and like and so you felt also attacked in that situation and like nobody was advocating for your safety yeah exactly i I felt for him totally i didn't i didn't go and talk to him about it because Mm -hmm. he was not he wouldn't have felt comfortable having me come talk to him about that Mm -hmm. but i um uh i i just knew it instinctively that i had to tell the people that run the program and Mm -hmm. if they weren't going to do anything about it then 
I don't know. There was a couple other kids in that after school program. They were all kids that were in trouble. They were always getting in trouble. That's why they were there. Hmm. There was this kid that had to be in detention a lot. And this detention teacher, it was like in school suspension. Mm-hmm. But they'd have to go to this room all day instead of going to their classes. They just go to one room and have one teacher. I, I don't yeah, know we, how well that works. We call, we call it ISS. Yes. Yes. <laughs> ISS. And, and this guy, this teacher invented this fictional room. And if you're really in trouble, they would send you to this room like 405, which didn't exist. But in 405, this teacher told these stories about, yeah, they make you take a shower there and you can't bend over if you drop the soap, that kind of stuff. And he's telling this to sixth grade boys. Wow. And they would come back and tell these stories. And I, I got into a little bit of trouble because the teacher that did that ISS program, one day I saw him light up a cigarette and start smoking it as he's walking down the hall to leave the building. And I was just angry about what he was telling these boys. So as I was leaving my job that day, I called the school. And of course, I didn't get anybody with the answering machine. So I left a long message (laughs) about this teacher. And then the next day, the secretaries come in and I hear this message. And that day I heard, Mr. Manning, come to the office. (laughs) I got called to the principal's office because of this message I left. And in there is this teacher. And then there's the two kids that are in the in-school suspension. And they're like, Rodney, did you hear Mr. Fox say that? No, I didn't hear him say that. Okay, you can leave. Jerry, did you hear Mr. Fox say that? I didn't hear him say that. Okay, Mr. Manning, what are you saying? And you're, and I go, I believe the kids. <laughs> I believe, you know, I mean, they were trying to like say that he never said it, and mm-hmm. and I don't know. There was no way that they could um, punish me. I mean, they weren't paying my check at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just this weird moment where the principal and the teacher were really defensive about all of it, and um, and I just said, well, I'm here to help the kids, not the administration. So, <laughs> right. you tell them <laughs> yeah. you know wow. but and i didn't really ever have to deal with mr fox thank god but that was like that's like 20 years ago and i've seen so many changes um since then just our whole culture um our collective culture because mm-hmm. it's different in different parts of the city you mm-hmm. know have you noticed more acceptance like among the kids toward each other when it comes to like kids who might act different might seem gay yes i i I hear i hear especially i have high school apprentices that work with me after school and uh, i hear them talking about advocating for other classmates um and talking about things, I'm like, oh my God, I, I can't, you know, and, and when I deal with the high school kids, I usually don't talk much around them. I usually let them do most of the talking. And if they ask me questions, then I'll help them. But um, high school kids are a different breed of student to work with. And they don't want to hear from me. You know what I mean? They really don't. So, and that's cool. Uh, I don't mind that. But, um, but I hear them in their own world uh, they have a sense of justice 
that there's like a new sense of justice with the new generations that have mm. come after me about this isn't fair. People shouldn't mm. be treated like this. You mm. know? Um, do you is, think that social media has anything to do with that? I do. I think, I think social media, art, television, we have so many more examples of what queer looks like, you know, what mm -hmm. transgender, what non-binary. Um, I mean, every, it seems like, you know, um, everywhere, it seems like in, in music, in, in art, in television and film, there's, there's more representation. It's not just, um, you know, there used to be like, when I grew up, the gay people who were on TV were very gay, but no one ever identified them as gay or ever questioned them. Like, like who? Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen old game shows of the Hollywood Squares, but the center mm. square was an actor named Paul Lind. He was a Broadway actor who played the kind of slightly gay character, but they were never openly gay. And he had a kind of a way of talking like that, you know. And Just flamboyant. This, yeah, he had the snappy jokes. And, you know, in his real life, his lover fell out of a hotel room window and died. And the media never, it was, they never wrote about the gay people. You know, like Rock Hudson was fairly openly gay in some ways. I mean, he had a lot of, there were other gay actors that he had love affairs with, but the media never wrote about that. They protected these people um, mm. somewhat. Um, so there weren't openly, really for, for my generation, AIDS is what opened the closet door, unfortunately. Mm. There are so many people because the first time that people would tell their parents they were gay, they would also say, and I also have HIV, you know, I'm also HIV positive. Um, or someone was like dying, <laughs> they're coming home to die mm -hmm. and they're telling your mom and dad they're gay at the same time. Wow. That, that's like the tragedy of that uh, period. But that also woke people up and... Um, our whole community, our whole gay community had to rise up because nobody else was doing anything to save, you know, people were fighting for their lives, basically. Mm -hmm. That's why uh, ACT UP, you know. Um, and I think, you know, being in theater also, that the, the arts communities were greatly affected by, um, by AIDS and HIV. Uh, because so many people were just dying in theater and in, in dance and in, in art. And uh, so those communities were the first to rise up and speak about these things um, and write, mm -hmm. write plays about it. Um, try to get people to notice, come on, you know, do something about this. Um, right. Anyway. And what yeah. was, what was, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what was your coming out experience like coming from a religious background? Yeah, I, I went to college. I went to a really small liberal arts college in Nebraska called Doan College. 
And there's like 700 people on campus that they've now created satellite domes in other cities, but, but it's a really beautiful little place. And, and people from all over the country go to school there. So you get to meet a lot of people, a lot of different people. And while I was there, there was just a whole bunch of gay people all coming in at the same time. Mm. And, um, and I, I went to college and I actually had a girlfriend my freshman year in college. I had a actual sexual relationship with a, with a girl for about nine months. And I went through this whole process of testing myself basically like, am I, cause I really felt like I was gay from a very, very early age, but I, I somehow was like, just figure out who I was and I kind of had to go through that experience and um and then I met all these crazy lesbian women who would like drag me to the gay bar and (laughs) and uh I kind of I kind of um one of those women I kind of had a crush on for a while, uh, my friend BJ, her girlfriend at the time, I kind of had a crush on her girlfriend. So I went from <laughs> a relationship with a straight woman to having a crush on a lesbian woman. And then finally realizing that I was gay, I kind of went through this process. There's no books, nobody to tell you. Like, like most yeah. kids, like, you know, mom and dad, I'm going to go take someone to the prom and well, when you go on a date with a girl, this is what, you know, when you're gay, there's no information at all. There's like mm. nothing, um, nowhere to go. Uh, uh, but I finally did come to that conclusion that I was gay. And it, it, it came during my freshman and sophomore year in college. And um, I was doing community theater I was playing in a play called Charlie's Aunt. I don't know if you know that play, Justin. I think I, I think I do vaguely. It's like a British comedy farce mm. with these British boys who want to take these these British girls on a date, but they have to have a chaperone um, to do it. And so they talk that one of their friends into dressing up like Charlie's aunt. He has mm. to get into drag and do this and i played charlie's aunt and during is, that, is that play, the name of, is that the name of a gay bar in san francisco it could or, be or is it, it aunt charlie's be. i think that's a thing okay sorry keep going <laughs> google it <laughs> okay I, will. So, I don't know it was like this crazy play it was so much fun to do the play it was a comedy and, and it was a really fun uh play to do um but i was like working for my dad's construction company that summer also and I was doing concrete work and shoveling sand. And I was like actually like working on the construction crew and taking my shirt off and getting a send. I was like really, <laughs> I was I was 19 and I was just felt so like powerful in my own way at that age that I'm like, I'm gay and there is nothing wrong with being gay and no one's gonna tell me there is anymore, you know? And uh, if someone shouts faggot, it's like, yes, I am. Thank you. Whatever. you know. <laughs> um, and I, I told my mom and my mom like freaked out. And uh, my stepfather, who's my mom's third husband, I think I told you I've been in all of their weddings. Um, <laughs> my stepfather is like, I knew he was gay when I first met him, you know, and that's common for step parents because they don't have the same kind of guilt of, 
you know, because parents mm-hmm. immediately think that they caused you to be gay mm. and that it's their fault. And uh, my dad, I had also gotten arrested that summer. <laughs> um, I had gotten a DWI that summer because mm-hmm. I had went to this party and like, I, I'm not, I was in a bad situation. Anyway, my dad had to take me to court. Um, and on my way to court for DWI, my dad like is stopping at these small town bars and getting 12 packs of beer. Cause my dad's and my dad's a, like, he doesn't drink anymore, but he's like a huge alcoholic and he drank like through my whole childhood, he was always drinking. Um, so after two 12 packs of beer, my dad asks me, and it sounded like he was throwing up at the same time he's asking me, (laughs) are you, are you gay? You know? And, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yes, I am. Wait, so he, he drank both of those 12 packs. Yeah, that was, that was like normal for him to drink a couple 12 packs. Is that crazy? On, on the way to court? On the way to court. <laughs> <laughs> or on, the, on the way, or actually it was on the way home from court. Okay, okay, you know, okay. I, How uh, long was the drive? Uh, well, it, the drive normally would be about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh-huh. But he was taking all these country roads. And, okay. I mean. Wait, what, was he really, driving? Yeah, he was driving. What's, <laughs> what's, what's really bad about this is uh, before I got arrested, he was mad at me because I kept stealing his truck to drive to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Like, I would wait till my dad fell asleep and I'd go get in his truck and I'd drive to Lincoln to go visit my friends at the gay bar. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'd get home just in time before he would wake up mm-hmm. in the morning. And one morning he put his hand on the hood of his car and it was warm. It's like, mm. why is my car warm? Oh no. And he started to catch on that I was like sneaking out with his car. So he found a car for me to buy for $500. And so he goes, let's take it out and test it. And before we took it out to test it, he stopped at the gas station and bought a 12 pack of beer. <laughs> so then we're driving in the country and then he opens a beer and hands me a beer. <laughs> And he says, when you're drinking a beer in a car, you keep it below the dashboard. You oh never... my God. So my dad is teaching me. And that very night I went out and got arrested for DWI. Oh, no. I know. I mean, <laughs> what, how would you, I mean, and my dad was like in crutches, like, how did this happen? <laughs> you didn't keep it below the dashboard. <laughs> no, I, I was, you know, I totaled the car, basically. Oh, I, wow. I ruined it, and I, I mean, I had to. It took my. It took me like five phone calls to tell my dad the whole story because he kept slamming the phone down. I go, Dad, the car doesn't drive in The reason the car doesn't drive anymore is the cops. Keep, you know, it's just. <laughs> oh, this is horrible. <laughs> you know, and so then when I finally had to go to court, he's driving me home from the court, drinking his twelve packs and then asks me, are you gay? And I'm like, yes, I am. I mean, in the middle of, because I really did feel liberated and, and happy to tell him that. And, and uh, he doesn't remember it, but he actually told me that he had had a gay experience as a child mm. in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but really after that, we never really ever talked about it again. Um, and I've never been really close to my dad. Um, he quit drinking. His, his doctor told him, if you don't quit drinking and smoking, you know, your life isn't going to, you're not going to have a life. And so he quit drinking and, and all of that. But I had already left um, and moved to Kansas City, um, before, you know, before that. And, and my dad never went through a 12-step program either, um, which helps because, he, he, I mean, I would love for him someday to say, I'm sorry mm-hmm. to me for mm-hmm. some of the things that he said. Um, but we had some weird conversations when he was drinking. I, <laughs> I wrote a whole performance piece about, about my dad because of, uh, just because of uh, an incident that happened between the two of us one time in his, in his house. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, that's the thing about, I don't know about you, Justin, but I, I have written so much material for this that I've done in performances that's been secrets about my family. And oh, no yeah. one in my family knows I've, I've never shared this with any of them. You know what I mean? Because mm, mm-hmm. I think they would be horrified if they knew what I've said. Of, and, you yeah. know what I mean? Some of my family is horrified because they, <laughs> they've caught on. <laughs> I just have to deal uh, with it. Yeah. 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 No, there's so many great stories and you write what you know and mm. And there's so many stories in my family that are, you know, um, they're hilarious. <laughs> yeah. My mom, my, when my mom married her third husband, um, she asked that me and my two sisters, and then her husband had been married for 25 years to his previous wife, and he had five children from that marriage, and his youngest child was my age. So there was quite a range of age. And my mom asked that all five of those children and me and my two sisters stand on stage with them when they got married. And then she asked that we sing. This is my mom's third marriage. She asked that we sing, we've only just begun. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) That's amazing. And we did. And, and while we were singing it, my stepdad's oldest son fainted in the middle of the song. And he's like six foot. Oh, no. Guy. So when he went down, it was a pretty big. Uh, <laughs> it's in the middle of a wedding. Oh, Lord. Know, where we're wearing crocheted flowers and stuff. You know, it's. I mean, um, yeah were you taping it <laughs> no no thank god they maybe should have but there's some really weird f- pictures of it oh um, good but it was like in 1982 it's a long mm. time ago mm. <laughs> okay <laughs> were you even born yet in 1882 <laughs> nope neither no. of us were right okay there you go <laughs> well one one final question maybe um and we can you can take your time or we can i don't know whatever um but i just you know given all of your experiences and this is something that we've asked lots of our guests but like if you had a platform to say something to modern church um and that could be your former church leaders or that could be the whole church at large 
um, what what would you tell them? Like, give them advice for how they should move forward. The church. The church. Yeah. Oh my God. I I mean, I have I am really conflict. I'm really conflicted in a lot of this because I I think of myself as a spiritual person and I I have my own spirituality and my own faith and I believe in like I there's a whole I think there's spiritual qualities to mm-hmm. it's hard the whole uh, the whole Donald Trump presidency thing caused me probably some of my biggest grief of my mm-hmm. life because I'm watching all of my family members who think of themselves as being devout Christians. I mean, really strong in their faith and all of that, putting all of their energy behind this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm like, what, how, how can this be? How can you believe in Jesus and support Donald Trump? I mean, how can you do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it like, to me is like one of the, uh, it exposes so much that mm-hmm. maybe I didn't want to have exposed, but it exposes to me, A, that they're really racist people. You know what I mean? That they don't even know how racist they are. Mm-hmm. They live in their own little bubble, but they have this fear of something that doesn't even exist, but it's been created for them to make them believe in this other person. Um, so that that would be my problem is how can you how can you call yourself christian and then support of the presidency of donald trump how do you do that and my partner caleb is like if people are going to believe some of the stuff they believe in the bible then they're going to believe the stuff that trump says too because right. if you can believe that you know it's like it's like all these different rules of the bible like you're not supposed to wear blended fabrics you know, you shouldn't be having shellfish, you know, certain women should be stoned if they do certain things, you know, I mean, there's all these mm-hmm. rules of the Bible that are not, people pay no attention to them at all, but then these weird poetic interpretations of a translation of a story that was told and passed down, and yet it's given so much power because it's put into this book called the Bible, and I, I just, I don't accept it. If you're going to come to the debate and use that as your source material, then you're disqualified from the debate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I, it's like, I don't, I don't think I have anything to say mm. other than give me the liberty to not believe what you believe mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. don't tell me I'm going to hell if I don't believe what you believe, because I don't believe it exists. You know, I don't believe hell exists. I I think it's this really amazing story that was created to control people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, back off, leave me alone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Go worry about, there's so many things that we need to take care of. There's so many problems. I mean, in so many ways, the church does, I mean, I work in a community where the church is a lifeline to so many people mm-hmm. and uh, it's a refuge. Um, and 
and I love that. I, and that's what it should be, you know. Um, but when it starts getting all judgy, and we're gonna we're gonna make these people the enemy, so that we can have a voice to magnify to get other people to listen to me. I mean, I feel like when when the church uses gay people, because we are we're used as a fundraising, um, mm. we're used for fundraising, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like that. I think that's, I think that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. And fuck right. Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I don't know how you, I don't know how you feel about that, Kelvin. Um, Cause I, I know that, I know that you, you're, you would still call yourself a Christian, wouldn't you? I think I think maybe at the beginning of this podcast process that I might have leaned <laughs> that direction, but nowadays I'm just more irate than anything. Thirty-two um, episodes ago, <laughs> a lot has changed. <laughs> um, because just hearing um, from our listeners, and um, you know, and this is something that so this is something that we also really wanted to 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 do with this podcast was to find a community of people who who had similar experiences, and boy, are they slash we out there. Um, and, and to hear the, um, you know, all of the, um, religious trauma that has happened to people over decades of time, um, and, and particularly of those who, of the queer persuasion, which is an underrepresented group of people, um, there, there haven't been a ton of, of documentation or, or spaces where these stories can be heard and told. Um, and so as, as this has been now a weekly ritual to hear and give, to draw attention to and have a platform, uh, for the first time in my life, um, I, 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 I very much want to disassociate from anything that is called Christian. <laughs> uh, not what we expected. <laughs> However, there is a lot of merit to the teachings of Jesus, and 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 I and I think that that you know is also something that I've tried really hard to like not just like want to be like burn the church in all its entirety with you know burn, like throw the baby out with a bit bathwater. The teachings of Jesus are and were radical for the time that they were presented, and and there are some radical thoughts in there now, you know, particularly about socialism and and taking care of the people who cannot take care of themselves. Um, but 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 using the word Christianity, I think, is null and void. We there not, there should be a, a different word for that, like human. We need a new word. <laughs> yeah, like a nice person, um, yeah. or just socialist. I'm a socialist. Um, no, and and I'm always fascinated by the fact that Christian, Muslim, Jewish, all have the same God. Mm-hmm. You know, really. I mean, they have different prophets and different ways to go about it, but they all have the same God, and but it's like. Aren't they all a little bit problematic, though? Like <laughs> they are, and the fact that they, the fact that people pit them against each other, yeah. also, it's like so crazy to me. And that we have wars, and people fight for these things. Yeah. And it's like, what is? I mean, give me a break. You know? Religion is stressful. That's yeah. that's my summation. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I do do I do have quite a bit of like mysticism around some of these things that are, you know in the world and and believe that it's a beautiful place and that we don't like you were talking earlier about mystery like I do see a lot of mystery and like beautiful happenstance or connections between different kinds of things that feel like they would be unrelated um, 
but then we we see if we look a little bit deeper that they are related and i find that really really beautiful but no i do not identify as a christian yeah i i mean the more i work with gardening and kids and science mm-hmm. i mean i never thought i liked science until the last you know 25 years of my life i'm like why didn't i do better in biology and call it because really it's a beautiful thing and and science teaches that this world is chaotic and it's random and people are dying and being born animals are being born and are dying all the time every second you know it's all just happening all the time Mm -hmm. and i think that's beautiful i think i think science is a beautiful thing um and why do we have to we have this uh we have this part of our brain that like what what is what happens out there what's the end where we we don't know it's like a, a void and like you said the mystery of that mm-hmm. um iris dement who's a singer songwriter that i love one of her f- biggest songs is called let the mystery be mm-hmm. and it's um it's a simple little song about you know why can't we just let it be why do we have to why do we have to yeah. fill it up with some kind of fable or or mythical situation you know mm-hmm. um it's okay not to know right yeah mm. <laughs> i don't know yeah. like, like when you die i always tell people when i die i'm i want to become compost you know what I mean? <laughs> you're like what you know and it's like compost is a great thing you yeah. know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want to be a part of the flow of life yeah i do i want to grow into something else yeah Yeah. that's so beautiful but really i just want to say thank you to you guys for what you're doing with this uh whole project and i know i know you probably have learned a lot and discovered a whole lot of things about this but there are so many people who don't have a place to go to express this or to hear mm-hmm. other people express it. And it, it, it's really important that people do, because the more that we talk about it, the better, you know, yeah. the more that it's communicated um, and that we share information about all of it, it, it helps. It really does help a lot. And I do, a listener wrote to me about the show last week and said that they just loved it so much. <laughs> and they said, I do believe that that, podcast is saving lives mm. you know it really mm. is so not to make it serious and all that <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i mean you're having a lot of fun at the same time yeah. which is important but but you are really it is a it is a service mm. that you're mm. you're in service to humanity with what you're doing <laughs> thank you so much mark um and i and i want to say thank you also for all of your diligent work for all the years you know, before we were here in Kansas City. And, um, you know, I, I feel like like I um, have benefited a lot from all of the work of the Big Bang Buffet that you've done and the work in the radio you that you've done. You were in a Big Bang show. Well, that's true. I was, yeah. yes. But, but, the years, <laughs> but the years before that you invested in that time. The groundwork. The groundwork, yeah. That, right. that, that, that yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to be safe in my skin in the city if it weren't for some of the things that you and your community did. And so I want to say thank you for that. Hey, you're welcome. No, it's, it's, we all, that's what we do. That's what yeah. you're doing. You yeah, know? yeah. And I remember the first time I met you. Like, <laughs> we laugh about it now, but I think, I think you were still like way in the closet. I was on my way to Scotland as a missionary. Like that's what the, the next thing I was doing that year. So, wow. Yeah. And, and know, I could barely speak. <laughs> I, 
I, I really do live by the thing of like everyone comes out in their own way and I've never wanted to be one of those pushy people that, you know, like I, gay bars still intimidate me and scare me because I really don't know how to deal with them. Yeah. Even at this point in my life. Yeah. Um, and when I first went into them, it was like really confusing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just got off the bus. Where do I go? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, but I, like for you, it's been fun to watch you find your own way. Like as mm. just kind of sitting back and watching you. So mm. it's cool. It really <laughs> is. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's so it's, it's very good to know you, Mark. And I'm glad that we're friends and that we get to be friends for the rest of our time on this planet. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a gift to all of us with all of your music and um, your uh gay evangelism <laughs> gay van well know that you're always welcome on the radio show and uh keep in touch yeah we will okie doke all right bye bye <laughs>